We're beginning a new series in 1 Peter. If you've got a Bible, turn with it. If you haven't got a Bible, feel free to go grab one from the back um, and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 12. That's what we're looking at together. Uh, as, we, as you grab those, let me ask you a couple of questions. What do you do when uh, things begin to collapse around you? What do you do when you might lose a job? What do you do when your relationships go wrong? What do you do when your finances run out? What do you do when life seems overwhelming? What do we do in troubled times? Well, uh, the last few weeks we saw what some people did. They went a bit crazy, did some silly things in our society and are now paying for it with the full weight of the law coming down upon them. They, they, they put their energy and their focus in the wrong place. Uh, we, were, we were down in Devon yesterday taking the wedding of um, Adrian Conroy, member of the church, him and the sound team. And um, uh, we were staying in a bed and breakfast on Friday night in a place called Budley Salterton. It's like, you know, the middle of the world. And uh, talking to the guy who was running that, and he was talking about the riots, and he said, well, he said he heard about them. He said, I went down to the high street in Budley Salterton. He said, but there wasn't much going on down there. You know, he said, I was rather disappointed myself. I said, well, you wouldn't be if you'd seen what happened. But, but people have, got, people have got, their, got their hope in the wrong place. They've they got their focus in the wrong place. I think it's all about hope. What do we have on our hearts? What do we live for? What do we hope for? How do we cope when things aren't going well? Uh, 1 Peter, the letter of 1 Peter, is a letter that is about hope. Uh, Peter's writing to a group of people who have had everything go against them. Um, uh, they, are, they have more troubles than we have. They have more troubles than a weak economy or living in a time of austerity. These people have more worries than a double dip or tomorrow's jobs uh, not working out or their relationships going wrong. The people he's writing this letter to are in desperate straits. Right from the beginning of the letter, you'll see that the letter is written to people in five different provinces. Uh, it would be Turkey today. Um, and the letter was circulated around those people. It was sent to a mixture of Jewish and Gentile believers who were all on the run. Some of them from Jerusalem, some from Damascus, some who'd been um, uh, ejected from Rome, deported from Rome, not because of the color of their skin, not because of their financial background, not because they'd done something significantly wrong, not because of their education. They were being ejected because they're followers of Jesus Christ. That's why they're being deported. That's why they're being pushed out. They're a group of people looked upon with suspicion because they claim to serve a God that is a higher God than the God of the Roman Empire under which they are living. So they've been uprooted, harassed, slandered, beaten up uh, in life. And uh, for them, life has become this incredible ordeal. Peter goes on a bit later in chapter 4, verse uh, 12. He says... Uh, don't be surprised, he says, at the fiery trials you're going to have to go through. Um, don't be surprised as strange things happen to you. Don't be surprised, he says, 
because that it's been that way for believers since the beginning of the time. I guess it's always going to be that way for believers. Even today, all around the world, uh, as there has been for centuries, uh, Christians are still facing persecution. In Iraq, in China, in Sudan, we could list the places. A few years ago, a number of years ago now, I was in Egypt, doing a conference out there, and sat with a young man in one of the coffee breaks, and uh, just said to him, tell me your story. And uh, he was there, come to uh, listen to myself and a, another guy called Mark Bailey for a week, and, and uh, we sat and listened to him as he said, well, he said, I, I, I heard the, 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 the news of the gospel, and I uh, became a believer in Christ. He said, then I was ejected from home. I was rejected by my family. He said, and I, I sat on a hillside watching my family to have a public funeral for me as they, no long, as they publicly disowned me as a person. It's the angels. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Come to join us. This week, I was, um, had an e- email from Tear Fund. Uh, I'd, I'd had an email from Tear Fund while I was, um, the day I came back from holiday, asking if I would go to Sudan uh, to do something with them. And I, I, I couldn't possibly go, so I just sent an email back saying no, because I hadn't been here for five weeks, and I thought, if I don't come soon, you'll think I don't exist. So I, 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 said, I said, I really can't do that. And then this week, I had an email uh, in south, from the people in southern Sudan. Uh, saying that uh, three of the staff members there had died, um, persecuted again uh, because of their faith in Christ. This is, a, this is happening even today. Peter's writing this letter to a group of Christians that that is happening to, and, and, and even today that is happening in the world in which we live. Uh, people are being persecuted for their faced, faith. Not their face, I hope, but their faith. But you know, it's not just trials from the outside. It's trials from the inside as well, from our own spirits. Trials of everyday life that can come upon us, that can make life feel hopeless. And Peter is writing to these people who are living in this place of persecution, and he says, have hope. Have hope. We all need hope. And most of us know why we need it. You know, we wouldn't get far in this life without hope. The need for hope is right up there with the need for air and food and water. We all need hope. Without it, we literally start dying. We, it, without hope, we begin to internalize everything. You know, it's like when a problem is overwhelming you and all of a sudden it becomes too much for you. You've lost hope. The problems become too big. But if we have hope, we look out above the problem. We see somewhere that we can go to. We look for a solution. As soon as we lose hope, things become overwhelming uh, for us. We end up in despair and, and physically and mentally and spiritually shutting down if we don't have hope in our lives. If we give up on hope, then we stop trying in our marriages. If we give up on hope during a serious illness, then we can literally start dying. If we give up on hope for our children, if things are going wrong, we withdraw from them and abandon that situation. 
If we give up on hope for a job, then we stop searching, we stop sending out the CVs, we stop pounding the streets, whatever it might be. And of course, the future looks bleak because we've given up on hope. The writer to the Hebrews puts it pretty strongly. He describes it as this in Hebrews. He says that, that hope, the stead, the hope is the steadfast anchor for our souls. We're, we're anchored to hope. We're anchored there and, and, and we never go far from that hope that we're anchored to. That's a, a sure base for us. And Peter's writing saying, have hope. Have hope, because hope stops us crashing out of life. It's hope that keeps us going. And he says, we have really strong reasons for hope. Look at the passage with me, verses 1 and 2. He says, so this letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's people who are living as foreigners in the lands of Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, the province of Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father chose you long ago. The Spirit has made you holy. As a result, you've obeyed Jesus Christ and are cleansed by his blood. May you have more and more of God's special favor and wonderful peace. I'm writing to you, friends, you who are scattered around, living as foreigners and aliens in different lands, to remind you to have hope. Why, number one? Because God has chosen you. God has chosen you. God's chosen you whether you live in Ealing or Greenford or Hamwell or Southall or Harrow or wherever it might be, even in India. God has chosen you. He's chosen you. It's terrific news. Peter's saying you're chosen by God. You're not some sort of divine afterthought. You've been chosen by the Father according to his foreknowledge. It's not about knowing in advance. We're just part of his plan. We are a loving choice of his. He says, I want you to be a member of my family. Right from the very beginning, I wanted to include you. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, he talks about wanting everybody to be saved. It says this, this is good and pleases God our Saviour. He wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth that there is only one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and people. He, he is the man, Jesus Christ. Peter says, to those of you who are scattered, who are living under persecution, where things are going wrong, he would say to us, to those of you where in your own life at the moment, where things are going wrong, where, where your job's upside down, where your relationship's a bit, a bit messed up, where, where your finances are a bit skewed, where things are not quite right, he says, you have so much reason to have hope. Number one, because you're chosen. You are chosen by God. God, the God, the creator of this universe. God, the creator of this world. God is interested in you, in tiny little you, you. You are so uniquely important to him. You are his child, his daughter. And actually, whatever stage of faith you are at, you are important to him. That's what he says in 2 Timothy. He wants all people to be saved. Therefore, he's saying... I've chosen you. All I want from you is for you to say yes. But you're chosen. You're included. God is on your side. He just waits for you to invite him in. He says, I'm there for you. I'm just waiting for you to invite me in. If you invite me in, I'll play with you. We'll, we'll face life together. We'll walk through anything we need to together. We'll walk through this life together. Or you are chosen. I just want you to choose me. I want you to say yes and invite me in to your life. You are chosen and special. So whatever anybody has ever spoken over your life, you are not unwanted, you are not 
unnecessary, uh, you are not unneeded, you are chosen by your heavenly Father. Paul says much the same thing, doesn't he? He says that in Ephesians, he says that we are created by God to do the good works in advance that he's prepared for us. He's created us for a purpose. He's created us for a reason. I've created you, uniquely you. Only you can make your contribution on this earth. Only you are uniquely you. You are so important. And I've prepared stuff in advance. You're chosen to do this. If you just say yes, together we can do this stuff. Together we can see the kingdom of God come. He taught it in the Lord's Prayer. On earth as in heaven. That's what he said. That's what we're to pray. That's what we're to do. And he says it's all about recognizing that you have this enormous hope that is an anchor for your soul, that you are chosen by God, chosen and, 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 and created to do the works in advance that he has got for you. Not only did he choose you and uh, embrace you, but more than that, uh, he's cleansed you, regardless of what you have done wrong. He comes and says, not only do I choose you, but I do not expect you to do this on your own. I've made it right for you. Verse 2, he says, as a result, you've obeyed Jesus Christ and you are cleansed by his blood. That's what he's saying to the scattered Christians. He's saying, not only has God chosen you, and even though you're scattered, you're also cleansed. I'm, I'm, I'm walking with you. You're included in my family. So Peter is saying to these ostracized, outcast, and rejected people, he's saying, look, some people might marginalize you. Some people might consider you as unimportant or insignificant or secondary or minor. Some people do that in life today, don't they? They think that you maybe they think that you're unimportant or insignificant or second rate in some way, but as far as God is concerned, you are the best. You are the best. He created uniquely you. You are so significant. You are so important to him. He loves you with an everlasting life. Love. He loves you uniquely because of who you are. That should give us hope, shouldn't it? To the scattered Christians, he says, you are so important. I've chosen you. I've chosen you. So not only have I chosen you, he says, but secondly, uh, I've remade you. Look at verse 3. All honor and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for it is by his boundless mercy that God has given us the privilege of being born again. And now we live with the wonderful expectation because Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. We've been remade. Not only are we chosen, if we're chosen and we say yes, once we say yes, we are included in the kingdom of God. We are citizens of heaven, not just citizens of earth. By God's mercy, there becomes this radical transformation in our lives. At the very core of our being, we become different because we belong to God, because we are chosen by him. Staying this little bed and breakfast on Friday night, and um, uh, Saturday morning we went down, we had breakfast, and... Um, the guy serving us breakfast, he, he really didn't want to talk to us, I don't think. That was right, darling. He just didn't want to talk to us. He just came in, he kept his head down, you know, just, just give you breakfast. Very easy to order for the menu issues. We just, he says, what do you want? We just get everything. Just bring it on. We've paid for this. We're going to have everything you've got. We'll eat you out of house and home. Just bring it on. Bring it on. This is the most expensive breakfast we've had all year. Bring it on. 
the whole lot. But every time he came in, I was trying to get conversation going with him. I could see my children going, oh no, you know, dad, don't do that. Don't speak to him again. But I was like, it's like, you know, when it's like when someone doesn't talk to you, you think it is a challenge. <laughs> you know that feeling? I am going to get him talking. You know, it's like, I was no longer focused on the Frosties. I was focused on, you know, the, the man. I was saying, I've got to get him talking. And so, in the, in the end, we got him talking and, and we started asking. I asked him the value of the property, actually. I thought that would get him going because we weren't getting anything emotional going. So, we thought we'd just go in at another angle. I said, how much is this worth? My children go, you can't ask that question. Why not? I ask any question I like. He doesn't have to answer. So we get this question going, we have this conversation, and you can see, you know, in the end, I can see all by George, the rest of the children just go, we are going back to our rooms. It's too embarrassing. So they all disappeared, and we sat, and we, George and I had this conversation with this guy. There was just a radical heart difference. My son George and I, we're both Christians. And we're just, it, there, there's a perspective on life that comes with Christ. That, friends, is full of hope. That, that this world actually is a great world that God has put us in. And we have a commission in this world to bring something of the light and life of Christ on this world. And this poor bloke was all down in the doldrums. You know, it's all going wrong in it, and it's all this and all that. Well, it's not really... You know, that God is good all the time and he's at work all the time in society. Just need to open your eyes to see the goodness and grace of God. We didn't get very far, but we are having this conversation. Uh, and after a while we had, to, we had to abandon, you know, the conversation. It wasn't going to happen and we had to get to a wedding. But, but, but the, thing is, the thing is this, we're different. God's chosen you. And as soon as you say yes... He does something in your heart. You're remade. You're a different person. You're recreated. Do you know you cannot understand that until you become a Christian? And when you become a Christian, you go, Oh yeah, I feel something different. There's this constant light. There's this constant hope. There's a, there's a joy that bubbles within that just is there the whole time. He says, I've remade you. You're born again by God's mercy. I've chosen you. All you needed to do was say yes. We become new beings, new creations. No longer bound by our own desires or held hostage to our past, but we have this authority and power present in our lives and it gives us enormous hope. Sometimes we can feel a failure in our lives. I don't know if you ever feel that. I think I've blown it. Do you ever feel that? I, 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 I often feel that. I think, oh, just, just such a wretched failure. You know, the Lord says, no, 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 no. You haven't blown it. He says, you, you, you're remade in my image. You're reborn in the kingdom of God. You're part of my heavenly Father's family. You're a chosen individual. I'm never going to leave you, nor forsake you, nor abandon you. You will always be considered part of my family. Don't forget the context. Peter's writing to these people whose life is really difficult for them. They're, they're thrown out of where they live. They've, they've had to abandon their families. They've abandoned their homes. And he's going, yeah, but you've got another home. Because you've been reborn into the kingdom of God. Have this hope. Have this eternal hope. 
that is there for you. And God is never going to let you go. There's something so precious about that. Something of the guarantee of our inheritance. That when we become Christians, when we say yes to God, he never lets us go. He pursues us. Isn't that a wonderful thing? He pursues us. He says, you're mine. I'm coming after you. If you said yes, I'm not going to let you go. I, I want to put good into your life. I want to make your life great, that others would know that I live. I want to do stuff with you. You've said yes, you're in the team. Be included. I will never let you go. I know what's best for you and I will walk alongside you and enable you. Like any parent with a child, no matter how far away that child might step, we as parents are always able to say, I will always be there for you. You can always step back here. We'll always step out and help you. We have an unconditional love for you that says we're going to be there for you. Our Heavenly Father does that for us as well. We're remade in the image of God. So he says, look, Peter says to these people, he says, look, have hope. Have hope, friends. Have hope because you're chosen by God. You might feel alone and far from home, but you're chosen. And have hope because you might feel alone and far from home, but you know, your, your citizenship is not just here. You're reborn into the kingdom of God. You're part of God's heavenly, your heavenly father's family. There's a greater picture that's going on here. He says, have hope. And thirdly and finally, verse 4 and 5, he says, you've just got this amazing inheritance. For God has reserved a priceless inheritance for his children. It is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And God in his mighty power protect you until you receive this salvation because you are trusting him. It will be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is a wonderful joy ahead, even though... It is necessary for you to endure many trials for a while. Unlike the fragility of life on earth, unlike unstable markets or mortgage disasters or overpaid investments or terror on the streets or pension funds that will collapse or whatever the headline might be tomorrow. I've got no idea what it might be, but at some point this week it'll be doom and gloom. You know, everything's going wrong with the world. He says, no, he says, our investment in eternity is imperishable and permanent. They will never fade or get old or lose their value. Have hope, he says. Have hope because you're chosen. Have hope because you're remade in his image. Your, your citizenship is not just of this earth, it is of heaven as well. Have hope because there is an inheritance that will never spoil nor fade that is put by for you. There is a future waiting for you. And hope requires that we set our hearts fully upon it, that we choose to live believing in the things of God. You know, there are some people around us, aren't there, who are just like they're, they're hope thieves. Have you ever thought that? You, 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 you come up with a good idea and they find a hole in it. They find a reason why it won't work. They pour cold water on it. There are some people who are alarmists. They come along and go, have you heard what's going on? The whole world's going to collapse. And you go, oh my giddy aunt. You know, they come and they, they put the fear, they put fear into your hearts. Then there are the critics who come along, don't they? They, they crush our hope any time we dare to speak. Oh, no, 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 that won't work. No, you can't possibly do that. They come up. And, and then, they're, they're, of course, there are the cynics, those who have the, 
gift of prophecy that's gone terribly sour. The people who had a sap hope from us, you know, it's all going to go wrong. You know, the kingdoms of darkness are advancing and it's all going to... Hold on, hold on, hold on. I worship a God who created this earth. I worship a God who's bigger than anything. I worship a God who can have everything under his control. That's the God I worship. I think he's a God of new beginnings. I think he's a God of hope. I think he's a God of light. I think he's a God of life. I think he's a God who can hold us in his hands. And I don't think it is all black and darkness. I think it is light and life. Because we are chosen by God. Everybody's chosen. And for those who choose to say yes, he says, you're born of heaven. And being born of heaven, he says, you have an inheritance that will never spoil nor fade. So Peter says, live in the light of your future. Live in the light of what God has in store for you. Don't give in to hopelessness or despondency. Peter says to fight back and remember that we're chosen. Remember we're made, remade. Remember that we have an inheritance. Set your hearts and minds on the future that Jesus Christ has for you. So often our problems are that we have a focus on the things that are our problems rather than a focus to the answer of our problems. And I think Peter's writing to these people who've got massive problems. And he says, look, Take the focus off your problems. Put your focus on Christ. Put your focus on your hope. Put your focus on the anchor to your soul. Put, the, put your focus on the one who will bring light and life into your lives. So often people are stuck in the past. Our focus is on the wrong thing. Or stuck in hopelessness. Or we're holding on to something that we shouldn't be holding on to. Or we're a victim, stuck as, stuck as a victim, or whatever it might be. But we should be stuck on our Heavenly Father. That's where our hope is. That's where new life is. On the inexhaustible stories of grace that come out of the kingdom of God. The trouble is that the stories aren't told that often and aren't heard that widely. But they're going on daily. Stories of God's grace at work in society around us. At work in people's lives. And God, I believe the God of this universe holds it all together. But for him, it would fall apart. But he holds it all together. And I think he works in unseen and unimaginable ways. We can't even begin to perceive or imagine the way in which he is working in our lives and in the lives of those around us and in the society of where we're a part and the world that we belong to. And he says, hold on to hope. And we have the advantage. Because if you've read the end of the book, he wins. So we know. We know. We know. We can have hope. So whatever you're going through, it might be relationship issue, it might be financial problems, it could be work-related, it could be office-related, it could be home-related, it could be anything. You know, we have every reason in life to have hope. We have every reason to have hope. Let's stand together, shall we?